0: It is so good to see you, weather's a little cooler today, and uh, are you enjoying that? Yeah, especially at church, right? We haven't had air conditioning for a few weeks, and so the Lord has been gracious to us this morning. It is good to be here, and it's good to be a little bit cooler. Um, Just an announcement before we um, continue into the message, Um, our men's washroom is currently under construction, and so there is no men's washroom. There is, though, an option, and that option is the red, portable, fantastic um, stalls that are in the parking lot. And so, um, the red portable washrooms are for the men, and so, um, yeah, go there, and it's, uh, the nice thing about it is that the men's, men have two stalls now. So before we only had one stall in the finished washroom, now we get two. I think it's an upgrade, what do you think? Yeah. So if you could uh, use that, um, that'd be awesome. And um, yeah, we're under construction. And by the end of um, September, the basement will be complete. And then the upstairs in October will be complete. So yay, Jesus. Yay. I'm excited. Um, I'm going to pray over this message, and today's message is a little bit different. So today's message will not necessarily be teaching, preaching. It's going to be me sharing a bit of an encounter that I had with the Lord this week. An encounter is when you experience God in a way that's deeply personal. Um, An encounter is when you experience something directly with God yourself that's Kind of beyond the norm, right? I'll just leave it there. But let's pray and then I'll continue. Father, thank you that you are a God that is to be encountered. We don't just learn about you. We don't just know about you. We don't just study about you. We encounter you. I pray this morning, Lord, that we all in this place and online would experience an encounter with you personally, that our hearts would call out to you and respond to you and experience you in a way that is new, different, fresh. In Jesus' name, amen. At 3 a.m. on Wednesday morning, August 24th, I woke up and there was no way I was going back to sleep. The first words that I thought inside of my mind were this, at the table we love and we are loved. So I'm sleeping. Often I'll get up actually at 3 a.m. if the Lord has something to share with me or if I just have to use the bathroom. The first is a lot more spiritual. Woke up at the table. We love and we are loved. Right after that, the next thought I had was 18 years ago on August 24th, I remember sitting at a table, a white table with my now wife, Sonia. I remember sitting at this table and the place settings were exquisite and the tablecloth was perfectly ironed. We were sitting by the window, there was flowers, there was candlelight and we were looking at each other and I was thinking about the next step in our life together. Our journey to get to this particular table, which was August 24th, 2004, our journey to get to this particular table had been ups and downs. Many late nights, many conversations, many experiences, many episodes of the show 24. We'd watch that show until like one or two in the morning when we were at Trinity getting a really good education. But we were studying something else, you know what I'm saying? Um, and after years of friendship, see there's certain, this story has been vetted by Sonia, but there, ha, there is gonna be some ad lib, if you know what I mean. And we're sitting at this table and we're thinking about the journey that we've been on. We'd exchanged letters instant messages, handwritten letters, love letters, back and forth. And here we sat at this table. And I think we're ready to take the next step in our life together. But I have no idea that one day we'll have five children. I have no idea that one day we'll be taking care of 80 farm animals. We'll be living on a farm. I have no idea at this moment as we're sitting at this table that we're going to have a wonderful marriage and life together. I hope we would, but I didn't know it for sure. And I didn't know when I was sitting at the table with her that I would be the lead pastor of Northside Church. I didn't know that I would know all of you either. I didn't know anything. I just knew this one thing that I was at this table for two with a woman that I loved. Earlier that morning, we had woken up and we had taken the SkyTrain downtown to the waterfront station and we had gotten off at waterfront station and we walked down to the water and we walked up to the place where the water seaplanes take off and I said, Sonia, we're going to be flying today and at that moment, I remembered that she has a fear of flying and I don't really love flying either. And so we're going to get onto this tin can on water that's apparently going to take off. So we get on, and I do my usual. I look around the plane, I make sure that all the bolts are in. Then it starts to take off. Have you ever been on a water plane? It's basically held together with duct tape and gum. I'm convinced of it. It shakes, you can kind of see daylight out of various parts and you're sitting there with like 12 other people, and Sonia's looking at me, and I'm trying to have that stewardess face when you're going through a hurricane and they're just like, they got that smile on, and their lipstick is still perfect, and they're like, everything's gonna be okay. I tried to have that face on for Sonia, but meanwhile, I'm gripped to the seat, literally ripping the leather off the seat. Like my fingernails, it was like leather seat was stuck in my fingernails, and she's looking at me, I'm like, it's gonna be fine, honey. It's gonna be fine, just fine. I remember as well, like reaching into my pocket because that's where the ring was. And I remember reaching into my pocket and I'm like, oh good, the ring's still there. And then I remember thinking, you know, if this plane disintegrates over the ocean, I hope that our seats are close enough to each other in the ocean that I can still propose like Jack and Rose in the movie Titanic, where the ship's gone down, but they're on that frozen, out in the middle of the ocean, and he tells her he loves her, and their faces turn blue, and then they die. I was hoping at that moment that at least our seats would end up close to each other. Then we fly for a little while. I don't know how long. It was terrifying, I'm telling you. I'm sure they're stable, but they're just... We're flying and we're coming into Victoria Harbor and the plane starts to descend. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. When the plane starts to descend, for me personally, I think it's gonna end up okay. We pull into the harbor, we get off the plane, we walk up, we walk a short distance and then there's these horse-drawn carriages. And so I say to Sonia, "We're we're gonna be taking a ride in one of these. So we get into the horse-drawn carriage, it's a white horse, white carriage. I think it had red velvet interior, I'm not sure, the details are fuzzy. And then we're cluckety-cluck, cluckety-cluck, cluckety-cluck. I reach in my pocket again to make sure the ring's still there because I remember that I had worked the entire summer to pay for this ring. And at this moment in time, I literally had $16 to my name. We arrive at the restaurant. I think it's the Harbor or Victoria restaurant or something like that. It's in like an old Victorian kind of home and we go inside of it and they had a special table for two that I had reserved. In the corner, a white tablecloth that we walk into and we sit down, and there's candlelight and there's flowers and I'm looking at Sonia and I realize after all of that that she's probably thinking, this isn't just a usual Tuesday night date. It kind of hit me at that point. I mean, this was big. And so I'm sitting there and my legs shaking underneath the table and I'm really nervous and make sure the ring's still there, it's still there, and I don't know if we ate first or if I proposed before we ate. I think I had to propose before we ate because Italians can't eat with nerves, you know? so I had to get it out of the way. I also didn't want to pay for the meal if, you know? I purposely got the table so it was near the window because if she said no, I remember thinking, it's on the first level and if she says no, I can get out the window, I can jump onto the grass and I can run to the ferry. So I said to her, Sonia, will you marry me? Did I get down on one knee? I did. Do you wanna come up here? I said, Sonia, will you marry me? she jumped up and she said, yes, yes, a million times, yes. And she jumped up on the table and she shouted in the restaurant. (laughs) She's like, I love you. (sighs) Do you think Sonia did that? (laughs) She said to me, do you really think I would say no? And this is what I said, just answer the question. (laughs) It's just like that. I think I was like, just, I had worn this thing all day, you know what I mean? I had worn this anxiety and fear and... Simple question, will you marry me? Simple answer. But in this moment, we made a decision that we were gonna spend our entire life at a table for two. We were gonna spend our entire life investing in one another pouring into one another, encountering one another, sharing dreams and stories and memories and moments, having kids together and building this life together, that from this moment, August 24th, 2004, to August 24th, 2022, that for the next 18 years up to this week, we'd be building this relationship. And as I I was writing this, I I wrote this sermon from 3 a.m. to about 7 a.m. And God gave me this picture of our engagement as a picture of the type of encounter that God wants to have with each one of us. One-on-one, at a table for two. This experience with us, face to face, across this table, and and, and I fear that so many days we think the Christian walk is religion. Rules, regulations, even the pursuit of knowledge, And yet God was reminding me that, Joel, it's all about this. This face-to-face experience, this face-to-face encounter that we have with God. Our main point is at the table, we love and we are loved. Paul ends his letter to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians 6, verse 24, and we'll end our Ephesians series on this, because Paul ends Ephesians on this, and he says this, peace be to the brothers. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is how he ends his letter. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Blessed are those who love God with love incorruptible. This is his benediction. This is how he ends, that we would have peace, love, and grace from God. And grace to those who love God with an incorruptible love. The word for incorruptible is the word for immortal, unending, undying, forever, eternal. He's saying bless those who would love God with an eternal and infinite and immortal and never-ending, incorruptible kind of love. And so I began to think about this because I know that God loves me and I know that he gives me this infinite, eternal, incorruptible love. But I hadn't focused on the fact that Paul is saying, blessed are those who love God that way, that our love for him is eternal. Have you ever thought about the fact that your love for God is infinite? Your love for God is eternal. Your love for God is is undying. It's immortal. It's forever forever. Like, have you ever woken up with this this experience that today I can love God with an incorruptible, infinite, immortal, undying love? Have you ever thought about the fact that God is receiving from you this immortal love? This incredible experience. Have you ever thought about the fact that God wakes up I mean, you wake up. And when you wake up, God is there wanting to have this kind of encounter with you. This face-to-face encounter. I remember like a year ago, God showed me this picture. He's like, Joel, when you turn toward me, my heart skips a beat. When you turn your affection toward God, He's so excited that his heart skips a beat. And we, each day, we wake up with this experience that we can have with God of this infinite kind of love. The most wonderful thing that you can give God is a table for two. When Sonia and I decided to get married, we decided to find a place for our hearts to rest for eternity. And when you have a relationship with Jesus, you find a place for your heart to rest for eternity. You find a place to give and to receive love with God. You come to rest in this love. Incorruptible love is to know God and to be known by God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 3. Now concerning food offered to idols. Now this passage, hold on, sorry. This passage, first of all, has a lot of deep meaning about idol worship, pagan worship, and what's called syncretism. Syncretism happened a lot in the church in Corinth syncretism is where you take past beliefs, particularly pagan worship, and you try to blend them with Christian beliefs. And the church in Corinth was, this is a big problem, which is why throughout 1 and 2 Corinthians, Paul is addressing syncretism. I don't have time to get into all that today. There is a gem inside of these verses that will change your life. Now concerning food offered to idols we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Knowledge puffs up. In other words, knowledge is like a balloon. Knowledge, knowledge is like a balloon because it looks good. It's visible. We go and spend a lot of money on balloons for birthdays. I don't understand this trend, but I do it myself with my kids. We go and spend money on air inside of a plastic rubbery thing. Why? So people will see. It's visible. It's beautiful. We love these things that we spend, you get helium. Now they have different grades of helium. Oh, you want the helium where it stays afloat for more than one day? Yeah, because I'm paying 20 bucks for this balloon. Oh, well that's gonna cost you extra. You see, whenever something is puffed up, it's simply to be a visual. Balloons are great, you can see them from a great distance, especially when they're floating up into the air and some seagull eats one and dies. But balloons, you see from a great distance, and I feel like sometimes that's knowledge. It's like, look at me, (laughs) look how much I know, look, look at me. Have you ever talked to somebody who knew so much about a subject you knew nothing about, and they went on and on about this subject, and your eyes start to glaze over, and you start to think about what you're going to eat for lunch? They don't realize five seconds in that you have no idea what like a thermonuclear reactor is. Have you ever been the one that has gone on and on about a subject (laughs) that you knew too much about and the person across from you is clearly checked out? I think that's what knowledge does, is knowledge puffs up. Knowledge says, look at me, look, I'm visible, but really inside it's just air. There's no structural integrity to it within relationship. But love is different. Love builds up. Love provides a structural foundation to build a relationship upon. I could know a lot of things about my wife, Sonia. But really, knowing her on a deeper level is love, not just knowledge. The same is for God. To be known by God. When you love God, you are known by God. When I love God, I, I, I know him, but I am known by him. You see, to know him is my pursuit. I feel like it's an action that I do, that if I know God, that's something I do is I am pursuing to know him. And, and what, what Paul says here is he's saying, but if anyone loves God he is known by God you see it's not to know him it's to be known by him it's more of a yielding and love is this encounter it's 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 at a table for two where I know someone but I am known by them and that love that transactional love is it's It's actually more important to be known by someone because to be known by someone is to open up yourself to be explored, investigated, searched by them. And so I see these two great ambitions in life when it comes to love. Be ambitious in your knowledge of the word of God. Paul writes to to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. It is important to study the word of God, to understand the word of God, to spend our life in pursuit of the knowledge of the word of God. It's important to allow the word of God and the principles within it to change our life. That is absolutely critical and important. Be ambitious in your study of the word of God. Absolutely critical to lay a foundation for your Christian walk. But there is another way as well to add to that. Be deeply ambitious in knowing and being known by God. First, be deeply ambitious to know the Bible. Second, be deeply ambitious in knowing the person. Do I really know God? And am I known by God? Paul says in Galatians 4 verse 8 and 9, Formally, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and worthless principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Just leave that verse up for a moment. You see, now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and worthless principles? There is something about knowing God But it's almost like Paul is writing and he corrects himself. It's almost, I mean, why did he even leave this in here? It's because there are two parts to our relationship. There there are two parts to every relationship. There are two parts to an encounter face to face at a table for two and it's to know and it's to be known. It's to love and it's to be loved. But Paul is saying there's almost this higher way to even ascending and trying to know God. There's a better way, he's saying. He's saying the better way to even knowing God is to be known by God. Now what I love about this is for, for me To be known by God, that is a yielding on my part. That takes a yielding for me to be known, for me to be searched, for me to be understood. It's an opening up of myself to allow God to know me. And so while I pursue God to know him, I must pursue being known by him. How are we known by God? We simply allow him to study us each day. I think again about my relationship with Sonia. See, to be known by her was a journey. Because when we first went out on our first date, I didn't tell her everything about me. I didn't show her all of my scrapes and all of my bruises and all of my anxieties and all of my failures and all of my insecurities. Any of you do that on date number one? Not suggested. Because knowing and being known is this process of trust that is back and forth. And you open up a little and they open up a little and you begin to journey down this road. It's it's harder to say to someone, I'm going to allow you to know me. It's it's harder to be known than to know. But the most freeing thing in any relationship, in my relationship with Sonia, the most freeing thing is when She has seen me at my worst, (laughs) my worst. She has seen me at my worst and she still loves me. My worst mistakes, my biggest regrets, my failures. And she still pulls up a chair It's a table for two. And God looks at you. And God sits at that table with you. And he sees your failures and he sees your screw-ups and he sees failed marriages and he sees mistakes you've made and bad investments and he sees all of that. And you know what Jesus does? He still pulls up his chair He says, It's okay. He says, Joel, sit and rest and be known by me. God's knowing of us is not, I told you so. God's knowing of us is not, how could you? God's knowing of us is not, you're an idiot. <laughs> That's not the way God knows us. That's a weak and worthless principle. God's knowing of us is. He searches us and knows us. And Psalm 139, the end of it says that he leads us in the way of everlasting. When God knows me and I am deeply known, I receive everlasting life. The enemy of our souls would tell us to not be known by God, because if you're known by God, you'll be judged by him and rejected by him and condemned by him. So may we pursue knowing God, but rather be known by him. I honestly think this is a deeply profound truth Not because I'm sharing it, but because within being known by God, what is the posture of my heart? Totally different. If I tell you that the pursuit of knowledge about God is the end, that's the goal, that's what you must do for the rest of your life is pursue a knowledge of God. You're in control. Very easy to get puffed up. But if I told you your pursuit, the, the, the success within your relationship with Jesus Christ is to be known, that's harder. You're like, what do I do? You're waiting for, you're like, okay, Joel, what are the five steps? We want this. It sounds good. What do we do? You pull up a chair, put a second chair there for Jesus, and you sit and you rest in his presence completely open, completely yielded to his searching. And you simply say, Lord, search me and know me. I don't even know what this means. I don't know why I'm sitting here silently. This is awkward. I've got thoughts running through my head, but I'm going to sit and I'm going to be known by you. You see, that allows God to do the work. That's saying, God, I am allowing you to be God. To know him makes you the one who pursues and strives. And that is important. But to be known is resting and allowing him to pursue you. As I feel deeply known and deeply seen by God, I want to surrender every part of my heart. To be known by him is to surrender. Transformational love comes from being known by God. This active yielding versus an active pulling an active yielding, an active opening up, a a restful posture within my heart to allowing him to search me and to know me.